Alrighty, welcome back everybody to the Faultline Podcast. My name is Alex Davis. Joining me in the room are esteemed editor Tommy Flanagan. Hello. And my esteemed colleague Rafi Cohen. Hello. And this is Faultline 938. And uh, yeah, it's been a decent week, I think, Tommy. I got to look at some silicon. But uh, from your view in the editor's chair, how, how has it been? I would agree, yeah. That's been a, a good week. I mean, it's, it's the first... F- Full week. I know it's not the end of the week yet. It's Thursday, but it's the first full five-day week I've worked in a while. So <laughs> I feel like I've got a lot more done. And because of that, we've got a big mummer of an issue. 36 pages this week. I think five interviews in total. Um, um, so some very good stuff this week. Not air ties, as I promised last week, unfortunately. Because um, Philippe, the CEO, um, was struck down with... Um, some sort of uh, flu, trade show flu, I think, uh, anger. So speedy recovery to him. Not that he's going to listen to this. It's the last thing you're going to want to listen to when you're feeling unwell. But hopefully, Philippe on the phone next week for a um, a strategic chat on, on where air ties is going. But we still squeezed in some of the um, the air ties uh, RDKB announcement this week about um, uh, Easy Mesh, which. Is, is interesting because we kind of put some pressure on RDK management a few uh, weeks ago saying that, look, everything's in place. Why do you seem to be stalling? But anyway, that's a story for another day. Our big headline this week, as with anyone, is um, the the whole Netflix ads, ads thing. It's been dragging on for a while, but there seems to be confirmation this week from an intercepted note from the New York Times that it's going to be confirmed in Q4 2022 this year, which gives Netflix, well, less than six months, really, um, to to get its its ducks in a row. So we've kind of taken an alternative look at that from the technology point of view and also from the operational point of view about how the hell it's going to build this entire new business in six months in, in and he's, it's got it's got a lot of money. It can it can buy the best um, team in the world, the best um, ad tech stack that money can buy. It can get the executives, the the battle hardened salespeople, the the marketing um, gurus. But still, I I think six months is ridiculously ambitious to be able to do that. But that said, what's really interesting about that for me is. Netflix has such a fierce reputation for its in-house R&D department. It does uh, video compression, encoding, um, CDN, analytics, machine learning, recommendations, you name it. It's got this incredible um, in-house technology team. So it's not just a content. That's why we love Netflix so much. It's not just a content company. It's a technology company. But it can't do that alone um, in ads. And it's kind of accepted that. And according to this um, note from the usually very reliable New York Times. Um, it's uh, recruited the trade desk for its um, demand side buying platform uh, assistance. And that is partly because the f- former CFO, I should have really had this in front of me, but this is just off the top of my head, um, of Netflix is on the board of um, the trade desk. You might want to fact check me on that um, particular part. But um, yeah, I think I think that's kind of swung it. So that's really interesting. Rafi knows a lot more about that um, world than me. So maybe that could be um, a potential uh, follow-up exploration to, into the, the relationship between Netflix and the trade desk and whether there, there is room for more because I know it's not uncommon to work with 
more than one. So that is by no means an exclusive relationship. But so that's the kind of alternative look we we took on on the Netflix ads uh, uh, latest chapter this week. But I did two interviews this week, um, which I'll just whiz through. One with Mola TV, as I promised last week, the big fat blue fish, if you remember, um, which is an India Indonesian, sorry, um, OTT. Um, service provider uh, does uh, SVOD and live TV it does a lot of sports and it's kind of been um, described as as a, as a zone competitor which isn't um, really that accurate um, that's a really simplistic way to look at it anyway this was a, a really strange but refreshing interview with the official representative um, and it was it kind of started out with me saying look i've just been on the mola tv uk website and it says something like um services being updated or like what's all that about so i i tried to do a bit of um homework pre-briefing but i couldn't because the, the website's being updated and he just refreshingly says oh yeah we've kind of given up on that we've given up on the uk website and then the the interview just took a complete um pivot and we we ended up firing into this discussion about blockchain and how Mola TV has this is using the UK as its um, headquarters and base for its um, blockchain based events business that I had no idea about. Well, I came here to talk about streaming and all of a sudden we're talking about blockchain and NFTs and I know that's not what you tuned into the Faultline podcast to hear about but yeah we a lot a lot of companies are doing it that's the important thing not a lot of companies are making money from it which is why we're so skeptical about it. And and the, the same was true of uh, the other interview I did this week with Yplay, which is a company that will be quite familiar to the traditional Faultline audience. It's a French middleware company, Frog Middleware, very well known among pay TV operators, um, tier ones like um, Canal Plus and uh, DirecTV. And they've just um, uh, launched uh, Yplay Community, and I had like a five-minute chat with uh, CMO and co-founder Dom at NAB about um, about this because it was only five minutes because there was a clash of calendars and we both got it all mixed up. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, I was only there for five minutes and that meant we had unfinished business. So we had a long call this week to, um, to sort that out. And, and it was a really, really healthy debate about the business case, really, because I get we get the technology, we get why people are doing it and how they've done it. But fundamentally, it's broken down into three parts. Uh, Yplay distributed DRM, which is, it's, it's got a patent pending on that. It's a new way of doing it. But you, no one makes money from DRM anymore. Yplay um, peer-to-peer, which is great. We, we know that decentralized um, uh, networks and, and, and things are the future, but no one makes money from uh, peer-to-peer networks, really. And uh, that leaves uh, Yplay blockchain. And within that, the main thrust of it is NFTs. And it's targeted mainly at operators to attract younger users um, to the platform by creating um, NFTs, uh, 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 NFT-based experiences through events and, and that kind of thing. And the plan is for Yplay to just shave a percentage off every NFT transaction by it, by minting the NFTs. And it's. Just, I tried to press um, Dom for a sort of ballpark estimate on how 
what sort of percentage they will make from it. I know it's going to be tiny. I don't know whether it's going to be under 10%, under 5%, under 1%. I don't know, but it's going to be absolutely minuscule. So while I like the concept, I like the technology, I'm so just, just getting more and more skeptical about the business case by the day. And I can't see many people making money out of that. But that's why, that's, that's, that's why I, I write this kind of stuff because I want to be proven wrong. I want people to go in a few years. Look, I made loads of money. Jokes on you. Um, but but speaking of which, that um, one of my my favourite quotes quotes this week from the discussion with Mola TV, which I actually said I wouldn't quote him on, which technically I didn't. I didn't say I didn't. I wouldn't quote him in the in the podcast. But towards at the end of the interview, as we were wrapping up, I said, "Well." Um, uh, yeah, well, thanks. That was a really refreshing interview. Cheers for your honesty. Not a lot of people are, are as open as you've been. And he said, well, you know what, Tommy, my boss is already a billionaire. He doesn't give a fuck what I say to the press. So <laughs> I don't know if we can beep that. I don't know if we've dropped an F on the uh, podcast before, but I couldn't resist. So that was um, a whistle-stop tour of um, the, the uh, one of, three of the top um, stories in this week's Fault Line. Yeah, it definitely needs to be on a T-shirt that that quote somewhere. But uh, no, the, the white play, idea. the white play NFT is uh, not not going well in terms of uh, market timing because uh, crypto is absolutely pooping the bed right now. Um, yes, and so, that. I didn't even get to touch on that during the. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not not well timed. Anyway, right. Thank you very much, Tommy. We we'll move on now to uh, Rafi. And uh, yeah, this week, um, full throttle scales on coattails of desperate MVPD. So Rafi, this sounds pretty juicy. Um, yeah, so obviously everyone, including me, seemingly every week is screaming about the decline of cookies and identifiers. Um, and there are, you know, actual interesting solutions that companies are proposing, but it can often be hard to cut through the noise. Um, and equally, there are lots of companies that are proposing useful solutions that are, haven't even bothered thinking about video. Like in my Mobile World Congress coverage, uh, remember I did an article about several companies I met around the hall that were doing cool data things that would be great for video, but they just aren't interested in it at all. Um, but a company with a similar kind of ethos is Full Throttle. Um, and they're doing one of those things that just is so ridiculously simple, you can't believe that it's not a thing that everyone just does themselves. But essentially all they do is just install a bit of software on a brand's website, you know, say a car, I don't know, Mitsubishi. They'll install a thing on Mitsubishi's website and then it literally just gives anyone that comes to the website, they just have to opt in to be tracked, um, which apparently most people are happy to do. You usually just kick, click that pretty mindlessly these days. Um, and then whether or not you purchase anything, it will essentially just track and remember you and remember your rough location, which can then be used for retargeting on display advertising or CTV. So it's literally just a way of doing that that's completely not reliant on cookies. Um, there's no, there's nothing really magic going on. It's so ridiculously simple. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's it, it works and it's proving really popular with advertisers. And one of the ways they've kind of found to scale is by tagging it onto the upfront pitches of key media publishers. So they've got MVPDs like Charter and Comcast who are saying, you know, if you buy 12 months of our ads, uh, you'll get 12 months free of full throttle to use for retargeting uh, all your potential consumers that never actually bought anything. Um, Amor, who I spoke to, he said that usually brands are only using about 2% of the actual data that they could have from their own stores if they just used a software like full throttle. So it's really kind of like tip of the iceberg stuff. They also have audio publishers making similar commitments like iHeartRadio. 
Um, and the Charter and Comcast link made much more sense when I found out that they're just distributing all this data to video partners via Blockgraph, which is the decentralized media exchange owned by Charter and Comcast. Um, and we actually spoke to the Blockgraph CEO a few weeks ago, who teased that they've got some huge MVPD signings uh, coming in the coming months. Uh, they've already got over two thirds of pay TV homes in the US and we're due another 19 million roughly in the coming months. Although Amal did say this wouldn't be inst- this wouldn't make them all instantly available to distribute full throttle data because it's actually months of engineering work in order to integrate with Blockgraph. Um, and the only other kind of talking point I'd like to hit on is that he was kind of very wary and cautioned a lot about really future-proofing your data models because you never, you know, what what is currently being outlawed doesn't, you know, may, you know, the outlawing could go a lot further in the next five, ten years. For instance, he was saying that really you should be trying to eradicate buying or selling any data at all that isn't your own, even if it's anonymized, because he's not surprised if regulators will be circling in on that in the next five to ten years. Um, and what they're really, you know, as they try to diversify and grow their business, they're trying to look on ways that advertisers and brands can exchange data without actual any money changing hands. Um, So kind of creating non-monetary exchanges by which brands can share their data and, you know, jointly target new audiences. Um, So yeah, kind of a forward-thinking company doing something very simple, which is always nice to hear. Decent. Well, fingers crossed. And uh, yeah. Another another crypto tie in there uh, with Blockgraph, so um, yeah, stuff to stuff to peek out, I guess. So um, yeah, we're we're on to a, a swift number three now, hopefully. So thank you very much, Rafi. So um, I got to look at uh, semiconductor um, stuff this week. So uh, two acquisitions. So Intel buying uh, the sort of mobile focused GPU specialist uh, from well, I mean, yeah, Heritage in Qualcomm and whatnot. So. Um, yeah, that that was pretty interesting. And then Max Linear um, making a slightly stranger um, purchase and and picking up uh, an SSD specialist called um, Silicon Motion, but essentially like doubling the size of the company, um, but sort of being able to expand into CP um, a bit more aggressively. And um, yeah, that sort of sets it up well, I think, for um, uh, Doxis 4.0, hopefully. Um, but nothing confirmed there. Um, and, I mean, sort of fingers crossed. Uh, and and that it pays off, but um, sort of the more interesting silicon thing this week was an interview with um, Tachium, which is a, a company that I thought I was going to be writing about two weeks ago, but they they sort of went, oh, by the way, we've got this uh, NDA in place, so uh, would you mind? And I said, all right then. So the sort of the big claim, which uh, yeah, um, you're sort of used to, I guess, a, a, a bit of um, sort of outlandish marketing um, declarations, but it's the first universal processor, um, and the sort of pitch really is that it's this reconfigurable, reprogrammable chip um, that can outperform CPUs, GPUs, and you know, AI-based silicon like TPUs uh, in both sort of power and performance. And I mean, the sort of sales pitch is that about... What's TPU, Al, for our audience who might not know? Tensor processing unit. So that's the Whoa. Google one. Yeah, so... Uh, that's a fancy ASIC, um, as opposed to like an FPGA, which you, which is what you know, Prodigy is. Like it's it's reprogrammable, so you can kind of change, change what it does on the fly. You can change its specialization. So um, the example here, right, is that um, Facebook's like servers, you know, in the US, their average utilization over a day is like 30%. 
And you can't you can't just go, oh well, you know, instead of wasting that seventy percent of the time, I'll use my US service to serve my EU you know market because the latency doesn't work and there's all sorts of data problems in between. So the point here is that in that seventy percent of the time where they're not doing anything, where they're just idling and wasting electricity, um, you can reconfigure them to do something. And whether that's you know like an AI task that you've got internally, um, or it's you know letting you um, sell capacity to um, somebody else. Um, there's a, a f an example of um, Microsoft Azure selling AI chips um, processing cycles off to the U.S. government, like a CCTV. So um, the the sort of underlying stuff uh, is a bit witchcrafty, a bit black magic, but basically there's a, a new instruction set um, which makes a lot of sort of changes to how we traditionally do stuff in terms of like moving data around the chips and whatnot. Um, there's some weird like law of physics problems that you run into when you make wires really small. So they've had to like find a way around that. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was a really good chat. <laughs> it was really interesting. So I've been sitting on this for a while. I've been looking forward to get it out. And there's a, there's a whole pile of, um, of extra paragraphs uh, in, in the issue that you can go check out. Um, and I guess because we're on a little time constraint, um, we'll fly through a worth noting section, right? A pile of paragraphs. Pile of paragraphs. Wow, what a way to sell fault line. <laughs> <laughs> fault, fault line is a, a bespoke collection of excellent paragraphs. <laughs> but yes, right, cool. Uh, worth noting, um, Tommy, your highlight. Oh God, on the spot here. Design, <laughs> um, uh, right? Design getting uh, mugged. Uh, Rappy's only got five minutes till his uh, call. We got to hurry this along. Yes, it was Design getting shafted by BT Sport after um, Warner Bros. Discovery. Um, also um, affectionately known as Warner Disco here at Faultline, is um, forming a 50-50 joint venture with uh, BT Sport, with the BT Sport business um, being transferred to Warner Bros. Discovery and being merged with Eurosport UK, which Warner Bros. Discovery owns. And so, yeah, unlucky design. Yeah, rip, rip design. Raffi, highlight. I don't have a highlight. I can do That's really... true. I actually never make you do a highlight, no, do I? No, I wasn't. It's five prepared. years. Uh, five years. <laughs> so yeah, five years ago this week, uh, oh, Disney was one of the many legacy media firms showing buyer's remorse around multi-channel networks. It purchased Maker Studio for over $5 million in 2014. Um, many other similar purchases were made by other huge media companies around that time. But the rosters of YouTubers were not as lucrative as hoped and Maker Studio was being shunted off to Disney's branded content division to assist with so-called influencer marketing, which seemed like the beginning of the end. Did you say five million? I think you've forgotten a few zeros there. Five hundred gazillion billion trillion. <laughs> yeah, that's more like <laughs> Fast stacks. Fast stacks. Right. Yeah, stuff. Maybe play this podcast on half speed as well. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Well, my little final worth noting... Um, Twitch is growing its viewership numbers, people watching more stuff on Twitch, and the rivals are losing. Um, they're declining, so that's not a great look, because it looked like that sort of monopoly dominance might, might get punted. But there we are. Right, cool. Um, that was Faultline 938. Um, Tommy, really quick, anything yeah, concrete? Yeah, nothing's happening next week. Goodbye. Nothing. Excellent. Right. <laughs> great stuff. Head to the website, rethinkresearch.biz. You can find Faultline free, four-week free trial because it's free and there's paragraphs in it. Uh, Rethink TV's exec summaries are in there. We recently did a webinar on SVOD and ABOD forecasts that you can go check out. Please leave us a nice review and if you've got some goffs, please tell Tommy. Uh, that is bye-bye from me. Cheers, goodbye. Bye. Bye.